Good morning. For our scripture reading this morning, we're in Revelation chapter 9. Revelation chapter 9, begin in verse 13 and read down through the end of the chapter. Revelation chapter 9 and verse 13. The Bible says, And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels, which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour, and a day, and a month, and a year, for to slay the third part of men. And the number of the army of the horsemen were two hundred thousand thousand, and I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses and the vision, and them that sat on them, having breastplates of fire, and of jacinth, and brimstone. And the heads of the horses were as the heads of lions, and out of their mouth issued fire, and smoke, and brimstone. By these three was the third part of men killed, by the fire, by the smoke, and by the brimstone, which issued out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth, and in their tails, for their tails were like unto serpents, and had heads, with many them do they hurt. And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. And let's pray. Father, what a uh, sad scene we see here. Even in the, in the face of your, your wrath and your judgment, they, we, they still would not repent. Lord, I just pray that our heart would not be in that place this morning. I just pray that our hearts would be far from that, that we would be open to turning from our sin, to repent, to truly repent, if that need be this morning. I just pray that our hearts would not be cold. just pray that our hearts would be just tilled in in a, a soft ground this morning for your seed to be planted in. Lord, we, we need you for that. We, we can only do it with you. Father, I just pray that your word would, would fall upon us fresh this morning and that your Holy Spirit would, would be active. Please fill preacher as he speaks. Give him strength and help him. Give him the words as he speaks to us this morning. Lord, we just pray that we'd hear from you. And uh, Lord, we need you. We love you. And thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Revelation chapter 9, we're continuing our study. In chapter 9, verse number 13, and we come to the sixth angel sounding. There have been five that have preceded this, and it says in verse 13, the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. You ever look around the world and think that everything is just falling apart? Well, it kind of sounds like our world today, doesn't it? And sometimes when we look at the world and we think that everything is going wild, we might ask ourselves the question, where is God? Doesn't he know what's going on? And if he knows, does he care? And if he knows and he cares, why doesn't he do something about it? Those are all good questions that we sometimes think about when we see the world in which we live. But we find out as we look in this passage of Scripture this morning that God does know, 
and God does care, and God does have a plan. Amen? In the last few weeks as we have been looking through this book of Revelation, we've studied the future period of time that is called the Great Tribulation. Describes the set by, it is described by the seven-sealed book that we've talked about. And the seals of that book are open. And when they are open, we saw the, some of the horrors that came out of that that are prophesied for the Great Tribulation. And I think we look around us in our world today and we see that our world today literally in many ways has gone wild. And yet, how much more chaotic and how much more wild is it going to be during the Great Tribulation? Thankfully, those of us who are saved don't have to fear that. Amen? Those of us who know Christ as our Lord and Savior will have been raptured out of here before all of that judgment takes place upon this earth. And no matter how terrible it is as we read about it in the book of Revelation, we know we're with the Lord and we're not going to suffer and go through those things that these folks will go through and the Bible tells us about here in these passages in Revelation. There are five factors that we find that apply to this passage this morning to help us understand that God does know and God does care and God does have a plan. I want you to look at them with me. First of all, I want you to see the prayer factor. The prayer factor. In verse number 13, again, it says, And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar which is before God. He talks about here the golden altar. You have this sixth angel, you hear a voice from the four horns of the golden altar. What is the golden altar that the Bible is talking about here? In the tabernacle in heaven, there is a golden altar called the altar of prayer. Now, if you remember, the tabernacle that was made in the Old Testament was a replica of the tabernacle that's in heaven. And in the tabernacle, in the days of the Israelites, the priests would come and worship in that tabernacle, and there was also their golden altar. If you were able to go into that earthly tabernacle back then, the first thing you would have seen when you entered the outer court you would find the brazen altar that burned continually. And then the fire on that altar represents the holiness of God and the judgment against sin. The priest would offer a spotless sacrifice, animal sacrifice, on that altar. And that sacrifice, of course, was pointing to and a picture of and represented the Lord Jesus Christ who one day would come and die on the cross for our sins. They would bring the lamb, and those lambs in the Old Testament were a picture of the Lamb of God who was slain for our sins and for our redemption. In the inner court, the Holy of Holies, was this golden altar or the mercy seat. It had four horns on the corners of the altar. The four horns speak of power. It represented the power of God. On the Day of Atonement each year, the high priest would walk into the Holy of Holies he was the only one that was allowed to go in there. And once a year he would come in, he would sprinkle blood from the animal sacrifice on the golden altar. That offering represented again the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he would die on the cross, he would become the payment, the propitiation, the Bible uses that word, for our sins. And when the offering was burned, the high priest then would burn incense on the golden altar from morning until evening. 
And that incense represented the prayers of the believers that are offered before the Lord and taken up into heaven in the power of the blood of the Lamb. In Revelation chapter 5 and verse 8, the Bible says, And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, <coughs> having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Again, in Psalm 141, verse 2, the Bible says, Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Now, when you think about that, our prayers, represented by this incense, knowing that our prayers are like incense before God, it ought to give us a little bit more insight and courage in our prayer life. Amen? Our prayers are important to the Lord. Did you ever feel like when you were praying that it just seemed like your prayers didn't go any higher than the ceiling? I mean, you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and nothing happened. And perhaps you thought that God has not heard your prayers. Or maybe you thought God said no and he wasn't going to answer that prayer. But I want you to turn back a page or so in Revelation. Look at chapter number 6 with me. We talked about these verses earlier, but I want to go back and just remind you of them. Revelation chapter 6 and verse number 9. It says, And when I had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God, for the testimony which they had. These are, are martyrs for the cause of Christ. And verse number 10 says, They cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. In other words, what I wanted you to see in that passage is this. These people who have been martyred are praying and they're saying, Lord, how long until you avenge our blood on those that have martyred us? And the Lord didn't answer their prayer right away. Instead, the Lord said to them, I want you to wait for a little while because there's some more people that are going to join you that I want to be together with you when I take care of this situation. And in here in Revelation chapter 8, look at verse number 3 with me. Go back just a chapter from where we are. Chapter 8 and verse 3, he says, Another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. So here are the prayers offered, and it says it's the prayers of all the saints. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you a saint? If you're saved, you are. If you're not saved, you ain't. All right? But if you're saved, the Bible tells you you're a saint. You're called a saint. And your prayers have been heard. Do you ever think about this? Prayers are the secret weapon of Christians. And we have the privilege of using those secret weapons for the Lord. It's kind of like an intercontinental ballistic missile. As we send our prayers to the Lord, they're our secret weapon. Let me give you five factors real quick about prayer. First of all, prayers can be fired from any spot. Aren't you glad you can pray from anywhere? You can pray when you're on your knees at home. You can pray when you're sitting in the pew at church. You can pray when you're in the hospital. You can pray when you're in an accident and you don't know if you're going to 
survive or not. Anywhere we can pray at any time, prayers can be fired from any spot on earth. Secondly, prayers can, can travel at the speed of light, and they can travel undetected. You know, there may be somebody sitting here this morning who offers a prayer to the Lord and it's taken up to heaven and, none, and, and the rest of us didn't know it. It was undetected. How many of you are glad there's some things that you've prayed about, you're glad nobody else detected it and knew about it, amen? And there's sometimes we pray about other people, you know, Lord, would you wring their necks? And say, no, you don't pray like that. But our prayers are undetected. I say that because... When we send these prayers and they're undetected, they go at the speed of light. We don't know exactly where heaven is. We know it's way out there somewhere. We, we, we always point up towards heaven, but did you ever think the earth rotates and up is not always pointing in the same direction, you know? So, so we, we don't know exactly where, where heaven is in that sense or how far away it is, but we know that our prayers can reach heaven faster than the speed of light. And then thirdly, prayers hit the target every time. Prayers hit the target every time. Our Heavenly Father is always listening to His children, and He hears each and every prayer that we pray when we are right with Him. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. In other words, if I'm not right with God and I'm praying, God doesn't hear my prayer. That's why it's important for me to stay right with God. Amen? Amen? It's important for all of us to stay right with God so that we can pray and we can get answers to prayer. Prayers hit the target every time. And then fourthly, Satan has no defense against our prayers. Satan has no defense against our prayers. Satan does not have an anti-prayer missile. He can't shoot down our prayer when we send it up to the Lord. He has no power to prevent your prayer and my prayer from reaching heaven and reaching God. And then fifthly, prayers oftentimes have a delayed detonation. They oftentimes have a delayed detonation. Prayer delayed is not prayer denied. Amen? God has his own schedule. And if you pray to God about something, a need, or some special thing in your life, that prayer does not fall to the ground. That prayer does go to the Lord. That prayer is in heaven. And as we saw previously, God keeps all of those prayers, and that's part of this incense that we find here in Revelation chapter 9 and verse 13 that's coming from the golden altar and ascending up to the Lord. So prayer, the power of prayer. I think we underestimate the power of prayer too often as Christians. We don't realize how powerful our prayers are. Don't quit praying. Don't give up praying. Keep on praying. Secondly, I want you to notice the power factor. The power factor. Look at verse number 14. Saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. Euphrates is the easternmost boundary of the promised land. And he says, you're going to loose the four angels which are bound in this great river Euphrates. It's easy for us sometimes to get our eyes diverted from the power of God and see the power of Satan. And we have to be careful that we don't do that. I would venture to say that there are a number of folks here today, and there are many folks in our world who have prayed about things and have one time or another thought, maybe God is just up in heaven walking around, wringing his hands, wondering, what am I going to do? 
But can I tell you, God never has to do that. We have to recognize the power factor. God is the most powerful. He is the all-powerful. He is the supreme sovereign. And he knows exactly what he's going to do. He has a time and a plan and a purpose. The Euphrates River that's mentioned there in verse 14 is both the cradle and the grave of human civilization. It is the river that divides the east from the west. One of these days, the great tribulation is going to meet in great conflict. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 10, it says, A river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. Now, according to verse 14, one of the heads of that river was the river Euphrates. Nimrod, who was the Old Testament picture of the Antichrist, built the Tower of Babel there, the first world empire, along the sides of the Euphrates River. And it is along the sides of the Euphrates River that we know in recent days Saddam Hussein uh, reigned previously in Iraq. Wicked men like these are only tools in the hands of the prince of Babylon, tools in the hands of the devil. But remember this, God in his sovereign wisdom and his sovereign power is restraining these four of the most wicked and powerful of all demonic fallen angels who have given dominion to the four world empires. And when God is ready, in the fullness of time, God will give permission for those to be released. And that's what's happening here in verse number 4. He says, loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And when that happens, all hell is going to break loose on this earth. Now to understand that a little bit more, these four demonic powers... I want you to listen to a prayer and look at it, if you would, with me. A prayer that Daniel offered. Go back to the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, chapter number 10. And Daniel offered a prayer to the Lord, but it was not answered immediately. Daniel chapter number 10 and verse number 12. Daniel chapter 10 and verse 12. Listen to what Daniel, what God says to Daniel and what Daniel says as he prays and, and the angel that, that is involved in it. Daniel chapter 10, and I'll get it in just a second, verse, verse number 12. It says, Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words or thy prayers were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days, but lo, Michael, one of the chief priests, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now, who is this prince of the kingdom of Persia? It certainly wasn't an earthly king. It was not the prince of the, the earthly prince of the kingdom of Persia. Because this earthly man could not do battle with an angel. I believe this prince of the kingdom of Persia is one of these four angels that we're reading about in Revelation chapter number 9. Listen to what Daniel says as he continues in verse number 20 of Daniel 10. He says, Then said he, that angel to Daniel, Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee? And now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia, and when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia, or prince of Greece, shall come. But I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth. 
And there is none that holdeth with me in these things but Michael, your prince. There was some warfare going on between the spiritual uh, beings in Daniel's day. And those wicked demons or devils, and devils, as you know, are fallen angels. Those are, those, they, are, they are those who follow Lucifer or cast out of heaven. And they rule over the world empires. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians 6, verse 12, it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. All of the kingdoms of the world have spiritual rulers over them just as they have human rulers over them. I think one of the reasons why we have the conflict going on right now between Russia and Ukraine is that Putin is not operating alone. He has a spiritual being that is a high power, a principality, a ruler in the spiritual world that is pushing him and promoting him. You ever wonder why government officials are unable to no negotiate with some of these countries? Why do they have so much trouble with it? It's because they're trying to negotiate with men and they're not understanding that there is an evil power behind those men that are driving them to do the things that they, they're doing. But let's never forget this. Despite the power of these evil beings, demonic beings, rulers of spiritual darkness, despite their power, they can only do so much. Satan cannot do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4 says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. There's somebody that lives within us that is greater and more powerful than the devil. And we do not have to fear the devil. We respect him, but we don't have to fear him. Because there's somebody living in me that is greater. And God allows Satan to do certain things, but he only allows him to go to a certain distance. Satan in the New Testament desired to sift Peter, the Bible says, as wheat. But he couldn't do it until he got God's permission. He wanted to take down Job in the Old Testament, but he couldn't do it until he got God's permission. He had to get permission from God. In some measure, Satan is restrained. He cannot go any farther than what God allows him to go. I think I talked about it last week. It's kind of like a dog on a leash. He can only go to a certain point. And I talked about a, a place that I visited, a house that I visited. I had a German shepherd on a, on a chain, and that dog, I'm glad he can only go as far as that chain will let him go. There's a point to which the devil stops. God does not allow him to go. So when we understand power, we understand that Satan is powerful. He's more powerful than we are, but greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And in this world today, there's not a conflict going on between God and Satan, and someday we'll find out who's going to win. There is a conflict going on between God and Satan, but we already know who's going to win. Amen? We know who's going to be the victor. Satan is a created being. He may be powerful, but he is not anywhere close to the power of Almighty God. God is the sovereign God. Robert Louis Stevenson told a story about a ship on a rocky coastline during a storm, and the sailors beneath the, 
beneath the waterline in the ship were tossed and turned as that ship was rocking in the storm. They knew the danger and they were wondering whether or not they were going to make it through the storm. And one of the sailors couldn't take it any longer and so he left his place of duty and went up to the pilot house. He pushed open the door and there he saw the captain steering the ship. And the captain knew that the, that the sailor was worried and was upset. And without saying a word, the captain just turned and smiled at the sailor. The sailor went back to, his, to the deck below. He looked at the others and he said, Don't worry, it's going to be all right. I've seen the captain and he smiled at me. Well, I want you to know something this morning. I've seen the captain too. Amen? There's nothing to worry about. There may be some storms going on in our world today, but our captain's in control, and he's still in charge. Corey Tenboom wrote these words. She said, look at the world and you'll be distressed. Look within and you'll become depressed. Look to Christ and you'll be at rest. And that's what we must do in our day. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ and rest in him. He is the all-powerful God. So there's the, the power factor. And then thirdly, there's the purpose factor. There's the purpose factor. Look back in chapter 9 of Revelation and verse number 15. Chapter 9, verse 15, it says, The four angels were loosed, which were prepared, notice this, for an hour, a day, and a month, and a year, for to slay the third part of men. I got to thinking about this. We've already seen many people have been killed by the, by the devastation that has come. I think one of the reasons why he wants to slay, Satan wants to slay a third part of the men is he, he, doesn't, wanna, he doesn't want them. He doesn't have enough to feed them. And so he's going to destroy them. If you read this particular passage in verse 15, he says these four angels are loosed. And then he says they're prepared for an hour, a day, a month, a year, to slay a third part of men. If you count that up, you may think, well, he's talking about a little more than 13 months. But that's not what this verse is emphasizing. In the, in the Greek language, when he talks about a, an hour, a day, a month, a year, is emphasized, the emphasis is on a specific hour, a specific month, a specific day, a specific year. So we could read that, that that which were prepared for a specific hour, a specific day, a specific month, a specific year. In other words, God is in control and he has a specific time when this is going to take place. And not a speck of dust on this earth moves without God giving it permission. And not a blade of grass moves in the wind without God giving it permission to do so. God is strategically moving in this world, and he's moving at his own time. You may remember some time ago when a mission of the space shuttle Columbia was called off because they said the computer was one twenty-fifth of a second off. And all of the waste, all of the the money that went into that was all wasted because of one twenty-fifth of a second. It had to be called off. Why? Because timing is important. And timing is important to God. God said to Abraham, I'm going to give you the, the land of Canaan. But God said, Abraham, there's a condition for you. 
He said, there's going to be 400 years before your people are going to possess it. Why? Why 400 years? Genesis 15, 16, God said, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. In other words, God said, Abraham, I'm going to give you the land of Canaan, but there's some things I've got to take care of first before it's time for me to give you that land. And so he had to wait for 400 years until God's reservoir of his wrath that was poured out upon the Amorites drop by drop was fulfilled. And after 400 years, then it was God's time. And then God took his people into the land of Canaan. Imagine how long people prayed for the Messiah to come before Jesus came the first time. All the way back in Genesis 3.15, he promised that he was going to send a, 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 a one that would bruise the, the head of the serpent. The seed would come, and that seed was Jesus Christ. And for all those years, every woman, when she had a, a son, when she found she was pregnant, she hoped it would be a boy. And when her son was born, she hoped it would be the Messiah. And they prayed for the Messiah for years and years and years. But the Bible says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. At just the right hour, at just the right moment, at just the right time, God sent forth His Son into this world. We pray for the Lord Jesus to come back again. Amen? I hope you do. I'm praying. Even so, come quickly. And we ought to be praying every day for the Lord to come back. How long have people been praying? Over 2,000 years we've been praying for, for the Lord to come back. In 2 Peter 3, in verse number 4, the Bible says in saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Notice Peter's reassurance in verse number 8. He said, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. In other words, we're praying for the Lord to come back. Peter said, Folks, don't forget this. Our God is never ahead of time, and He's never late. He's always right on time. He does not punch a time clock when He goes to work. Amen? And the day of the Lord will come. The day will come when the trumpet sounds. The day will come when we're caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. That day will come. Galatians chapter 4, verses 3 and following says this, Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Just because it's been over 2,000 years since our Lord and Savior stepped on this earth and then stepped off of this earth and ascended into glory, don't think for one iota of a second that God has forgotten His promise one day that trumpet will sound and the sky will roll back and Jesus will rise from his throne and step down to receive his own into heaven to be with him. He is coming again. 1 Timothy 6 verses 14 and 15 says that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords. I want you to know this morning that he is on time. And that with God, timing is more important than time itself. He is on time. And then fourthly, notice the perversity, of, the perversity factor. 
The perversity factor. Perversity is a deviation from what is right and good. Well, we see a lot of that in our world today, don't we? And here in verse number 16, it says, And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000 thousand. That's 200 million. And I heard the number of them. 200 million army. John saw and John heard an army of 200 million. How in the world could that be? When John sees this revelation, there probably weren't even 200 million people on the earth. In World War II, we're told that the greatest number of soldiers the United States had at one time was 12 million. And yet here's an army of 200 million. We might be tempted to ask John, John, are you sure you got the decimal point in the right place? Two hundred million. But when God gives his permission to release these filthy four from the Euphrates River, an incredible battle will begin. The armies will be huge. And it will not be the battle of Armageddon, but it will set the stage and start getting things ready for that battle. Satan is a devil of war. His demons are demons of war. And whenever you see war around the world, you can mark it down, the devil is behind it. He's a part of it. Revelation chapter 16 and verse 14 says, For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Demon spirits move the hearts of terrorists and warmongers toward destruction and towards battle. It's sad that we see that even in our day-to-day taking place. Look down at verse 17 with me. He says, And thus I saw the horses in the vision, and them that sat on them having breastplates of fire and of jacinth and brimstone. And the heads of the horses were as the heads of lions, and out of their mouth issued fire and smoke and brimstone. By these three were the third part of men killed, by the fire, by the smoke, and by the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails were like serpents that had heads, and with them they do hurt. This war that is described here may be symbolic of some of what we think of of modern war today. There are breastplates of fire and jacinth. Jacinth is the color of the hot blue flame that comes from a gun. These instruments of war shoot fire and smoke and brimstone. He talks about them having tails as tails of serpents. It sounds like some of the, it could be representing some of the tanks and the helicopters and rockets that we see today that are shot out. I'm not sure exactly what all this is involved in, uh, that's involved in this, but it may well be in those days, they didn't know what rockets were. They didn't know what tanks were. What if God had given John a vision of when men landed on the moon the first time? John might have described it as a, a great spider sending forth fire and brimstone, to put it in the terminology of his day. Of course, nobody then knew anything about helicopters and airplanes and tanks. But they knew something about horses that were prepared for battle, and John's trying to help them to understand. I want to give you a possible scenario of what may happen from these prophecies that are given here in God's Word. A political union arises in Europe, 
a kind of United States of Europe. It might even be called NATO. We've all heard of that, haven't we? The Antichrist will rise out of the Western Europe, the old Roman Empire, and he'll gather together the military and economic power that has been the undeveloped Europe. His first task will be to make a treaty with Israel. It'll be a logical move of diplomacy because an independent third party has never been able to seem to come up with some type of a solution in the Middle East. He'll say, come under our wings and we'll protect you and make your borders safe. Boy, wouldn't Ukraine like to have safe borders right now? And so this alliance with the support of the United States will make a treaty with Israel, and Israel will be unconditionally guaranteed that they will be protected. And when that happens, it will incite the passions of the Muslim world that are stretched around that Euphrates River area that we've talked about all the way up to the former Soviet Union or Soviet Empire. They'll come around along the Euphrates and the 200 million men will march in what will become the ultimate jihad. And when this happens, the United States of Europe will come with a great army, Ezekiel chapter 37 and 38 and 39 talk about that. And then the Bible says next there's going to come a great shaking in Israel. I don't know if that'll be an earthquake. I don't know if that'll be an atomic war. We'll have to wait and see. But the West will prevail, and that geopolitical vacuum, the Antichrist in that vacuum, will be enthroned as the world leader, and the world will wonder after the beast, and they'll say, who is like this man? Who is able to make war against him? And all of this is going on, getting ready to lead into the battle of Armageddon. Now, when is this going to happen? Well, we know, we've already said, it's going to happen after the rapture. We're already gone, so we don't have to worry about it. We are concerned, I hope, for our loved ones that they get saved and don't have to go through it as well. God will remove his hand of mercy. He'll call these four demons from the Euphrates River. You know, man has wanted to live his own life, his own way. And in a sense, God's going to just step back and say, okay, have it your way. And there'll be the full reign of the Antichrist. There'll be much devastation that'll take place on this earth. And that brings me to the last thing, and that is the pride factor. Look at verse 19. With all of this that's going on, verse 19 says, For their powers in their mouth and in their tails, and their ta- uh, for their tails were like serpents, and they had heads with them that they do hurt. And the rest of the men, which were not killed by these plagues, what's the next three words? Yet repented not. They repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood. Notice this, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Isn't it amazing that somebody would worship something that can't see or hear or speak or walk? They're worshiping idols. And we have people in our world today that worship idols. I'm glad we have a God who sees and hears and answers. We have a powerful God who's real. Amen? 
But during this time, when the wrath is poured out upon this earth, you would think that these men would fall on their faces and cry out to God for mercy. But instead, these men, they're, instead of being horrified, they're hardened by what's going on. Men are not changed by punishment. And yes, Brother John, you can put a person in prison, but that doesn't usually change his heart. Proverbs 17, verse 10 says, A reproof entereth more into a wise man than a hundred stripes into a fool. Men are not beaten into submission. You know what people are doing in hell today? People who are in hell today, Jesus says in Matthew 13, 42, they are gnashing their teeth. What does gnashing their teeth mean? It, it, it's kind of the idea to gnash your teeth is like snarling. They're snarling against God. People in hell are not crying out for God to say, oh, please have mercy. They're cursing God. They're still participating in the wicked course of the demonic idol worship that is involved there. And they're not repentant of their sin. Verse 21 says, Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. First of all, he says they're not repentant of their murder. May God have mercy on the murderers of the unborn babies in our world today. May God send His Spirit to bring repentance to every man and woman who has participated in what I think is one of the most heinous acts against defenseless little ones. Beyond the streets running red with abortion, the blood of abortions, our streets in America run red with the blood of murder. Our big cities, you, you, all you got to do is listen to the news or, or, or check the figures and you'll find that crime in our major cities is going crazy and murders keep going higher and higher and higher. The murder rate is rising astronomically. And look at the horrific murders that are taking place in Ukraine as we speak this morning. The blood that is shed, the murder. These folks here, he says, neither repented they of their murders. And then he said, nor of their sorcery. The word sorcery comes from the Greek word pharmakon. It is the word from which we get our English word pharmacist. You know what a pharmacist does besides reading un in illegible writing? <laughs> he dispenses drugs, right? In the Great Tribulation, men and women are going to be reduced to rubble through the abuse of drugs. And again, you can see us heading towards all of that today. The drug, the drug epidemic that we have, drug addiction epidemic, is unbelievable of what's going on in our world. And the Lord says they're not going to repent of their sorcery. And then He says of their fornication. The word fornication comes from the Greek word pornios. It's the word from which we get our English word pornography. It speaks of sexual perversion and, and immorality. God left Sodom and Gomorrah with their smoking ruins on this earth as a testimony of what happens to those who choose that ungodly lifestyle. But you know what the amazing thing is? Mankind will not learn. They do not repent. They do not cry out to the Lord for mercy. And Jesus tells us that the world will experience an even worse judgment than Sodom and Gomorrah in their day. God's going to bring great judgment on this earth. And then... He talks about their thefts. The last thing he mentions is their thefts. In the Great Tribulation, people are going to steal openly from one another. There'll be no restraints. 
There'll be no negative consequences from the civil authorities for their behavior. Isn't that one of the problems we're facing now today? The lack of consequences from civil authorities. God knows that even in this time, punishment and suffering are not going to bring these people to himself. He says in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3, My spirit will not always strive with man. There will come a time in the great tribulation when men will have crossed God's deadline and his hand of mercy will be removed. You say, well, what does all that have to do with us today? What's the application for us today? Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 15 says this, Today, if you'll hear the voice, hear his voice, harden not your hearts. God says, don't harden your heart. They hardened their heart in that day. They wouldn't listen. They wouldn't repent. They wouldn't cry out for mercy. God said, today you still have the opportunity to cry out for mercy. Don't harden your heart. God loves you. Lay aside your pride. Lay aside your, your propensity to evil and to wickedness and turn to the Lord. God, help us that we today trust Him as our Lord and Savior so we don't have to spend eternity in the fires of hell forever and ever and experience the judgment of Almighty God. Someone wrote these words, As the tree falls, so must it lie. As a man lives, so will he die. As a man dies, so will he be through all the years of eternity. You die without Jesus Christ in all the years of eternity. You suffer in the flames of fire in hell forever and forever. But thank God, those of us who know Christ as our Savior, when we die, we'll be forever with the Lord for all of eternity. We'll enjoy the blessings of heaven. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, thank you for your word today. Again, these are terrible things that we read about in the tribulation period. We thank you that as believers we'll not have to go through that. Thank you for sparing us the wrath of God. I pray that every person here today may make sure that they know Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's not fun and games. It's real. Heaven is real. Hell is real. Judgment is real. God is real. Would you help those that have never trusted you to turn their heart and life to you? Would you help those who are saved to be burdened for our loved ones and to do our part to reach them before it's eternally too late? Thank you for the power of prayer. We can lift our prayers for our loved ones and for those around us that are not saved. and We can pray and witness and win them. Help us to do so before it's eternally too late. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.